And we're live. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 41. It took 41 episodes for both Josh and I to, to be here today. This is our first time together. This is the yeah, first time. Yeah. 41 weeks. Uh, Man, I've been dreaming weeks. about this. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, 41 weeks into this, and here we are. Uh, we uh, Welcome. We're so glad that you guys are here. Um, as you know, over time, this is kind of our opportunity to jump a little deeper into uh, the Sermon of the Week, which uh, we're in the series Luke's Gospel, which is... Uh, uh, all about us trying to get more certainty, right? right. Um, and so today at Overtime, we're going to go deeper into week two of this series. Um, but before we jump in, we just wanted to share one very important announcement. If you miss this announcement, uh, then you might be by yourself this Sunday at church. Uh, we have our drive-in service. Uh, we are still doing our online services, you know, at five o'clock on Saturdays, nine o'clock and 1045 on Sundays. But we have this drive-in service. It's been taking place at 1030. Starting this Sunday, it's going to be at nine o'clock. So if you show up at 1030, you're going to be by yourself. It'll be just you and the Lord, which is great, uh, but you will miss out on community. So make sure this Sunday you remember to set an alarm or a reminder that church starts at 9 o'clock in the parking lot and parking will happen at, or start at 8.30 if you're interested in coming a little earlier. And uh, we'll still have kids zone and things like that yep. happening as well. So just want to let you know so you're not showing up to nobody here on Sunday. But uh, week two of Luke's gospel, can you give us kind of a synopsis or recap? for those of us who weren't able to join. Yes, Christian, I will. Thank uh, you. By the way, if you weren't able to join, I would actually pause this, go back and uh, listen to the online yep. sermon so that you know what's going on. Definitely worth your time there. It's a little bit shorter than this. I think it was a little more than 50 minutes. Yep. And so that was the online version. And uh, So definitely do that. The reason we're doing the nine this week is because it's hot and it's hard to sit outside and hot sweatiness for a while. So you kind of got two different things going on. We got the online sermon, which is... Kind of the the the, the lengthened, the longer of the of the two. Uh, then you got the in person drive in, which is kind of the abridged version of the online. And then now you got this, which is covering what we didn't get to cover there. So either one of those worth your time. I would recommend the online one if you want to really understand what's going on. And so where we are, um, basically we're in a broken world. You know that all sorts of complications and lots of uncertainty. So uh, what we've done is kind of gravitated to what can we hold on to, what's true, and Luckily, Jesus tells us that what's true is he's true, right? He literally says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, meaning truth is not some idea or some feeling. You don't live your own personal truth. Truth is a person. His name is Jesus. And so if we really want certainty, really want to understand what truth is, it makes sense that we understand who Jesus is for 2,000 years. It's been a pretty significant person in human history. I mean, our times divided up for it. The biggest, most massive revolution happened in this understanding, by the way, without any violence or anything else. It's this massive revolution of Jesus followers that have kind of continued for 2,000 years. And so it makes sense that as the church, we'd really understand who Jesus is because that's what uh, distinguishes Christianity from all other religions real quick. Religion is man's attempt to either get to God or become God, right? So it's... Uh, you do the certain things, eat the certain foods, go to church a certain amount of times, you pray the certain prayers, you read the certain things, right? And if you do enough, then maybe the God of the universe will be happy with you, right? So religion is our attempt to try to appease God, which candidly is, um, leaves us wanting because none of us are good enough to please ourselves, much less God. So Christianity is different in that, in that Christianity is man's or God's attempt to you know, reconcile himself to man, right? So man's attempt to get to God is what religion is. God's attempt 
perfect attempt, by the way, to uh, make himself back available to us. That's what Christianity is, and it all hinges on the person and work of Jesus. And so, uh, luckily, there's been some really great writing and investigation about who Jesus was. And so, if we're going to seek some certainty, understand truth, it makes sense that we try to research Jesus's life. And the best way to do that is actually to read a biography about Jesus's life. Yeah. And uh, there's four in the, the the Gospels: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There, these four guys, three of them actually walked with Jesus or knew Jesus. Uh, two particularly, uh, Matthew. Matthew and John were disciples of Jesus, and so they would have written stories from their experience of that. Um, John Mark was one of the original apostles or one of the new apostles that kind of comes in the first century. And then you got Luke, uh, all writing from different perspectives in different ways. And so what we decided to do or, uh, was to really spend some time investigating Jesus' life using probably the most thorough of the four gospel or biographical biographical accounts of Jesus' life. And the reason being is Luke has 1,150 plus verses, and 568 of those are direct quotations of Jesus' words. So, okay, best way to figure this out is let's find the guy who wrote the most about it in an exhaustive way. Let's find the guy who cites Jesus the most if you want to learn about him. And, And on top of all that, when Luke writes this, he writes it as a kind of a research grant to a guy named Theophilus, and he gives us the thesis of the whole book of uh, uh, the whole Gospel of Luke and uh, Luke one, verse four, where he says, uh, "So that we may have certainties, right?" And Theophilus, but does as well about the things that you've been taught. So we're kind of going verse by verse, uh, pretty methodically and intentionally and chronologically through the Gospel of Luke. And so the first week was the first four verses. What we learned there is that Luke basically says, hey, here's what I did. I compiled all the written narratives. Matthew and Mark would have been written those Gospels already. I would have taken all the written documents and I would have read them all. That's pretty significant because it's not like there's a library or Google search, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's gathering all this stuff in, in that sense. Uh, there were libraries in the first century, but not in the sense that we think of them. There weren't multiple books in all these libraries, right? So to gather all that would have been pretty important. Then he says, I also got, took eyewitness accounts and he kind of compiled the oral traditions. So he takes all this information and he puts it together to present to us a thesis that says, hey, I'm going to write all this to you so that you can have certainty. So it's important to go, okay, if Luke's writing this, this is what's going on. And he writes it so we can have certainty. What is it that he wants us to have certainty about and how does he go about helping us be certain of it? So I would argue really significant that whatever Luke's going to do next is something we should really pay attention to. Hey, Theophilus, hey, uh, Worldwide Church, hey, Christian Life Center, 2000 years from now. I'm writing these things so you can be certain about what you've been taught about Jesus. And so here's where that starts. Here's the hook. So the introduction's over, and he begins. And so he begins with this story that is... Uh, not about Jesus, ironically. It's about this old couple who are about to have a baby. Uh, but they've uh, been trying to have a baby for quite some time. Yeah. And so you got to sort through what that's about, what kind of big idea of it. He starts with Herod, this guy, point to a temple, which would point us towards 400 years of just a, what I would argue is a drought or a barrenness in our world where God seems absent, where he seems like maybe he forgot about people. And so that Luke is going to present kind of that feeling that we all have, the office included. Is this true? Can we trust this? Like I've asked God to tell me, but I haven't really seen it. I prayed this prayer, but God didn't come through in the way that I thought he would. And so there's just this reality for them and for us that there are times that God seems absent. Yeah. I would argue in the middle of our current cultural climate and political climate and medical climate, all those things, it's pretty easy to kind of pause and go, where's God in this? Uh, man, he feels absent. Right, and so uh, what's really beautiful is God, uh, Luke is going to start by show it, sharing the story of uh, these two people who, for they love God, they're faithful to God. The scriptures say that, uh, where they probably are 
suspicious that God has forgotten about them, doesn't care about them, doesn't love them as much because they've been begging the Lord to give them a child mm -hmm. probably for decades, and he hasn't. Just like the church in the first century of the Jews would have been like, God, would you show up and been absent for 400 years so what was going on then which is the same thing you know kind of a, a micro cosm uh, for uh, Elizabeth and uh, Zachariah this old couple is kind of the same thing for us of hey God just what do you do when God seems absent what do you do if things feel really uncertain and so he's going to uh, show up to this old couple and he's going to say uh, I've heard your prayers and I've responded because I love you and I have a plan for you and what I'm going to give you is a great gift and it's going to bring great joy and the great joy of all this what you're going to see is this John the Baptist is not that they get a baby mm -hmm. right the great joy of this which is the same great joy for us and all these things uh, the reason that God gives good gifts right the prosperity gospel says God only gives good gifts that's true right but that the, that part of the prosperity gospel is accurate. The wrong part of the prosperity gospel is those things are the things that satisfy us, right? So the good part is God gives good gifts. Yes, great gifts that he wants you to enjoy, right? If I give my kid a bike, I want him to ride the bike, not think about all the kids who don't have bikes, yeah. right? So you enjoy those things. And yet at the same time, those things are not the end. They point to the end. They point to the, the greatness of who Jesus is. So John the Baptist is going to be born. He's not going to solve all of Zechariah and Elizabeth's problems. In fact, he's going to create some more problems for everyone. Uh, but what he does do is he points to the one that was promised 400 years earlier, that there's going to be a savior. And so this messenger is going to show up. So Luke's going, hey, we, uh, throughout the Old Testament, there's this promise that a savior is going to come. And the way that you know he's going to be close is there's going to be a messenger who's going to point to him. You're going to know that's going to happen because it's going to happen in the temple. And there's going to be this person who's not great, who's but who is not Savior, right? But he's going to point to the Savior. And so what we saw happen in this passage is an angel shows up and tells Zechariah and then Elizabeth, you're going to have the one who's going to point to the one. So let's enjoy the goodness of the day, but let's also see that all this stuff points to a better hope and a better salvation, which is found in Jesus. And so, um, and so you're highlighting a lot of history here because yeah. we have, if uh, uh, Luke is, as you called him, Dr. Luke, which I thought was very yeah. fitting, is he was he the only three that were kind of had the qualifications that he has, right? Yeah. Uh, or, or out of the Gospels writers. Yeah, so you got uh, Matthew, um, he would have been, I think he was a tax collector. Okay. Mark would have been a, I don't know what his category been, but he would have been a first century apostle. I'm not okay. sure his thing. Uh, you got John, who also was this little kid. Yeah. Like he would have been in the kind of the rabbinical or the rabbi tradition. One of those that would have tried to follow after a rabbi and become like him. And so uh, John was the youngest of Jesus' followers. And so when Jesus would have showed up to say, follow me, yeah. it would have been like John's going, oh, I'm going to be a pastor because yeah. that's a rabbi. And so you got Luke, who is this um, scientific you know, medical doctor with all the experience yeah. and all the education of those things. And so it's really neat that this guy who would have had a medical practice, would have been paid to do this, would have gone and spent all this time and energy looking at who this person is. So I would say Dr. Luke, Magnum P.I. Luke, like <laughs> doctor, scientist, investigative journalist, yeah. all compiled in this brilliant man who comes yeah. and puts this thing together. And so he's writing this account of the story of the gospel, and he finds it fitting to start with the story of Zachariah and Elizabeth. Uh, giving birth to John the Baptist, which you kind of uh, implied in the sermon that there's a lot of cultural implications of children, um, but then also uh, in this whole narrative of what Christ, what God is doing, yeah. about a lot of theological implications of this. Can you um, maybe go in depth a little bit about those two things? Yeah, so two things uh, really important here. Uh, I, I mean, I, we, we actually taught on uh, this passage back in December during the Wonder series. I don't remember if it's like week okay. one or two. In fact, I even it, it made it to overtime as well. And so... There's some things that are really pretty important in terms of 
uh, child rearing, right? Uh, I mean, it's such a misogynistic world 2,000 years ago. Yeah. Like, uh, one of the things I love about Jesus is he makes the gospel available to all people, and he establishes kind of this level playing field that all people are made in the image of God. Well, 2,000 years ago, that wasn't the case, yeah. right? They didn't see it as such. They saw men as stronger, more powerful, and they were the ones who were more valued because of what they could produce. Yeah. And a woman's value was directly uh, related to her ability to produce children. Yeah. That is both in the pagan world, the non-God world, non-Jesus world, non-Christian or Judaism world, and also within Jewish culture. Like um, women were seen as less than men, two-thirds versus you know a full person kind of thing. And so, so for a woman, her most significant accomplishment would be the amount of children she could produce. Okay. So you can read throughout human history and definitely throughout Jewish history and throughout the scriptures some of the deepest and sharpest pain that uh, women felt was in their barrenness. Like yeah. You can see this all the way back to uh, different people like Jacob whose wife couldn't produce for them or whatever and just this deep sadness yeah. that happens in all those things. And so when we find Elizabeth and Zechariah uh, they're old and we find out because it actually says that he, he, his prayers have been answered. They've been praying for a long time for this yeah. kid. And so first and foremost uh, Elizabeth would have been viewed as inadequate, incompetent, um, less valuable, her identity had been found in producing children she can't, so what's she worth, right? So you got all that piece there of just deep pain, right? And so uh, there is no kid there. So from this, the value identity piece, this this is a huge mark on her and a lot of whispers around, right? So the scriptures tell us she was blameless and they love God to help us understand that this yeah. wasn't some kind of weird punishment. But the assumption would be that she's inadequate and broken and that God didn't like her. Yeah. Right, that's really sad to go, yeah. the God of the universe doesn't like you. So that would have been the belief even in the Jewish world, right? Yeah. And so you get all that for her identity. Now, beyond her identity, the other piece that's really important for both Zechariah and Elizabeth is that um, there was no 401k. There was no retirement plan. The way by which you lived into your old age was that your children and your grandchildren would take care of you. Yeah. So your plan for uh, protection wasn't going to a nursing home. It was, I raise my kids, I support our kids, we build this big, you know, we build our cattle and our livestock and kind of our whole legacy, and then we give it to our children, and then we enjoy the fruits of that while they take care of us in yeah. our old age. And so um, Zechariah and Elizabeth are old. They've done this whole life. They've been, you know, he's been a priest, so he doesn't have all those things. He's yeah. counting other people, and all of a sudden he's getting late in his life, and he has... No one really to take care of him. So you got that piece, which is kind of the bigger piece of this. And then there's, scholars will tell you there, there's also some uh, Jewish worldview at the time that when when there would be proclamations from the prophets in the Old Testament that they would say one day through the line of David would come yep. this Messiah, right? So what they believed is as long as they were also in that line, as long as they had kids in that line, whenever the Messiah came, as long as they were still connected in that lineage and that bloodline, that when the Messiah came, it would cover all of their past. So be retroactive. That's right. All the way so back. it's like it brings okay. it back to this. So false belief, not true, but yeah. this real deep um, belief system that said your pedigree and your eternal uh, dwelling place yeah. has to do with where your children fall with where when God sends the Messiah. Okay. So you got all this going on for Zechariah. So in some ways he's gonna go into so what we find is Zechariah's about to go pray for people and there's an assumption that he's gonna be praying for the Messiah, but deep down he's going, either Messiah needs to come now so I can be alive yeah. or I don't really know what to do. Right. So yeah. there's all these different kind of significant pains going on yeah. for this family, identity, um, security, right? Mm -hmm. Which is so interesting because 
that's really what we struggle with, you know, uh, our identity and our security. Yeah. Those are the, the two biggest ones. So I can always talk about that's why we lie, because we don't need to trust God with our value or identity. So let me tell you, I way less, have more education so that you'll yeah. see me as more valuable. Or I don't trust God with my future, so I lie so I don't deal with the consequences of what my spouse would say yeah. if she found out, whatever those things yeah, are, right? Yeah. And so you've got identity and security all wrapped up in family, which is beautiful because that's what God gives us in the, in the Old Testament. First thing he gives us, husband, wife, and family. So it's all wrapped up there. And for Zechariah and Elizabeth, both the identity and the security are, are absent. Yeah. And so that's where we find these guys. So it's in- yeah. I guess it's interesting because, uh, you know, from the outsider looking in, anyone in that time, yeah. they would not have picked Zechariah and Elizabeth for this massive task. They would just kind of see them, as you were saying, almost like outsiders in some ways, or at least uh not uh, worthy of such a big, uh, what am I saying? A big, a, a big honor like this, yeah. right? Right to so, to bear John the Baptist, and so but yet now God comes in and yeah. God has a different plan. That's just it, it. kind of puts almost Zechariah up like, wow, he's the priest of. So this is the thing is it's kind of prompted there. So um, really complicated uh, Judea. Think of it as a state. Jerusalem as a city. So yeah. Philadelphia, Philly, or Pennsylvania kind of thing. And so in this area, there's a lot of Jews, like hundred thousand Jews that need to be taken care of in, in Judea, and so. The way by which they were taken care of was through priests. Mm-hmm. But the priest was something like you were born into. Yeah. But uh, when you hear the word priest, it's not like this great valued position for them. There's 18,000, you know, 18,000 priests. So they're all kind of, you know, I mean, it's not a significant thing. And there's different levels of priests. Yeah. There's the ones who are in the synagogue. There's the high priest, the one to, you know, oversee kind of the government response and also the atonement response, the way that they get to God. And some of that's through pedigree and education and being chosen by the right rabbi, all those things. And so Zachariah is none of those things. He is one of 18,000 people. That, yeah, he just doesn't have any kids. Yeah. So, so at the best, he's one of 18,000. Yeah. But then there's uh, 24 different divisions of these priests, kind of the idea is that they would come take care of the temple twice a year. So 750 show up. And so you divide 18 to 750. So Zechariah is not one of the high priests, not one of the fancy ones. He's one of the, in this division. And mm-hmm. then you take that 750. He's the one without any kids, and so he's real low on that totem pole. And so this is a guy who has very little value on the outside looking in. He's yeah. just a guy who shows up as a thing and goes back to Poorville yeah. and, and lives this poor, you know, meager life. And yeah. so nothing about him is being celebrated until this moment when he shows up and he gets chosen through, you know, basically lots uh, through chance, yeah. uh, God's providence, but what seems chance to be able to go in and talk to, to God on behalf of the people, yeah. and that's where everything changes. So that would have been a really significant moment for him because finally he got chosen. Yeah, Probably the first thing he's been chosen in, in his whole life. Yeah, yeah. There he is, and that kind of sets the scene. So when Luke is writing this, it's real easy just to read through and go, oh, Herod, whatever, yeah, yeah, there. Okay, see these people, that's great. But there's a, a big picture that he's driving towards, mm-hmm. this massive moment that really isn't a moment, but once it happens, that points to an even greater moment. And yeah. So, yeah, not, not valued, very little identity, not, I mean, probably pastored, you know, three or four or five people on yeah. a consistent basis. Just a not a known guy yeah. in this world. And we see um, all throughout the scriptures, even the, the New Testament a lot in the Gospels, where God is picking unsuspecting parties to work through them. And you even mentioned the sermon, uh, Herod, this guy who's a horrible person doing uh, atrocious things, especially with his cool Olympic swimming yeah. pool, uh, just doing horrible things. But God uses Herod, even in uh, Herod's leadership, to um, as a part of this process to bring about uh, Jesus. So can you speak more yeah, to that? Yeah, so that's what's really neat here is, one, I'm really... Luke is thorough. 
So I really yeah. appreciate that verse 5. He's going he's gonna to put a timeline on this. Here's the guy. Here's where it happened. In the time of Herod, look him up. Follow the history books. Yeah. Like You not only can see Herod, you can see the, the evidence of all the stuff he built. Like Google his name right now. Herod the Great architecture, right? I did that or just on do, Sunday, too. Or just do swimming pool, right? Yeah, you, you can, can find it. literally see the pool, and it's beautiful. It looks like one of those infinity pools. You know, it looks like it runs off, and there's the Mediterranean. I don't know like, if you want to swim in it, though. I don't know what's, like, actually in the water, yeah. but just so, pictures. Even figuring out, like, the plumbing of all that stuff. So, like, Luke is going to give us a real human being. Like, this yeah. is not, this isn't Zeus and Hermes. And, like, this is this is a real story with real people that God is using. So these are not like make-believe characters and some, this isn't J.K. Rowling putting together something, right? This is this is a real story with real humans that follow in history. So Luke is able to go, you know Herod. Hey, Theophilus, here's what, this was when he was in charge. He's not going to be in charge of much longer. Herod Agrippa or Antipas or whatever one's next, one of his children is going to take over and be just as bad. And, yeah. But in this thing, we know of Herod and know actually the kind of person he was and know that he was so insecure that he literally kicked tried to kill all firstborn boys. There's just this history of that over and over again. They're all baby boys, not necessarily firstborn. And so he's gonna he's gonna put all that in human history going, you gotta see this. That God is interacting with human history and even the most evil people from Pharaoh in the Old Testament, right? All the way to Herod, God is actually bending and shaping all of their decisions, even in their own insecurities, to bring about this. So God uses this broken guy who has this great desire to be known and worshipped yeah. who's going to build this massive temple and God's going glad you're building that temple because this is going to, it's going to happen first John the Baptist is going to show up yeah. and then what you're going to see throughout the scriptures is Jerusalem and the temple are going to continue to show up in the, the, the New Testament and like you're going to see Jesus show up in the temple go out come back to the temple get angry go out all these different things and eventually you're going to see this big earthquake where the veil is torn in the temple so God is has this temple and the centerpiece yeah. of this new belief system because in religion it says the only way you can get to God is by performing all the duties. Mm-hmm. So in the temple you made these sacrifices because there's this, this separation between us and God. But if we did enough of the right stuff, God will at least allow us to ha- have his uh, pro- uh, provision and comfort yeah. and guidance for at least the next three months or a year. And so God has taken this ten- uh, this this religious piece of going, this is what it looks like to try to earn God's favor, but you can't. Yeah. And then he's going to destroy it and make God and not his temple, us act, and God himself accessible to us through Jesus. So you've got a uh, religious worldview, okay, perform all the duties. Then you have this secular worldview, which is earn your legacy, build your legacy, have people talk about you later. That's the way you get to eternal, yeah. eternal life is that people continue to speak about you like we are now, yeah. 2,000 years later. So God is going to take the juxtaposition of those two, the temple and this arrogant leader and his desire to ruin all things that have to do with the Christ. Yeah. And he's going to take both of those things and go, let me, let me even use these players to yeah. do this. So what we talk about all the time is God's providence, that he sees all things. Right? He's seeing all that. But not only is he seeing all that, he's working in it all. Like He's bending and shaping everything, every single decision you've ever made. He's bending and shaping for his our good and his glory. And so not only is he doing that, like he's doing it with deep compassion yeah. for his children who he's wooing back to him. Yeah. So take this really horrible man that you can Google, research, see in human history where he is and therefore understand about the time that Jesus was born and see how God even uses this guy in this moment. So it seems significant to me that Luke would want us to know yeah. where the timeline is. This is a true story. Yeah. He's done the investigation and there's evidence for it. Now he's going to compile that with this guy going, yeah. this, this, this marks the starting point for how this thing plays out. Yeah. Really thankful for Luke and all these details because they kind of do really paint a really good, helpful picture of what's happening here. 
Um, so the temple, Herod built it, uh, is the centerpiece for the story. And it's this first moment where maybe Zechariah no longer, he hears from this, uh, this uh, angel, Gabriel, uh, in a pretty profound way. Uh, can you tell us a bit about what's happening here and why it's so significant? Yeah, so <laughs> you're going to see a lot of things with the temple. Uh, what we do know in Jerusalem, there's, uh, there's God's temple yep. and then there's Herod's mansion. They're kind of right next to each other. So Herod is leveraging kind of religious culture, kind of the the um, the festivals that are going to happen in the temple to kind of build revenue for himself. Yeah. And so there's all sorts of crazy stuff happening in all that. So on the outside, that's what's going on. you got a, a booming culture, a lot of Roman and Greek influence, a, you know, a, a, a Grecian or Roman leader in Herod overseeing all this stuff. So you got all that going on. And then there's kind of this this new murmur that's happening. Hey, we hear the Messiah may have mm-hmm. come. The reason I know that, Luke's going to tell us, is because he's showing up to angels. Or angels are showing up to shepherds and telling them. So all this stuff's kind of happening. Herod's hearing about this. And then it gets worse because the baby's born. And then the next couple of years, he's going to do a lot of stuff to try to stop yeah. that. To the yeah. point where you know, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, they flee as refugees to Egypt. Yeah. Like all sorts of crazy stuff. And so God's taken like real human history and putting all those things together. And so you're seeing all that at play. But at the, at the core of it is, is there's this temple moment where... Um, what would happen is people would come to the temple, and they come for multiple reasons. One is because they believe that's where God dwelt. Inaccuracy, that's what the Old Testament said. God resides here. If you want to be close to God, you come to this place. Yep. Two, that's where they would uh, ask God to provide provision for them. Give us rain. Don't hate us. Don't murder us. Hey, we think you're more valuable than anything else. They make sacrifices there. So that's where God would be. Not only would that be God would be, that's where uh, God's people would be. So if you want to connect to people, like-minded people, this was the place that you showed up. Like if you're looking for a girl or a boy, this is, this is the place, right? That's how I got in youth group. You know, it's so funny is, um, um, and I'll get back to that. So I promise I will. But uh, when I was at, we, so I was a youth pastor turned college pastor and then church planner, right? And once we planted the church, there was this you know, church, and they're like, we need a college ministry, or we need a you know, singles ministry. Yeah. And it's like, well, we have one. It's called church. You yeah. show up on Sundays, you open the Bible with other college students who are also there, and yeah. we need you know, all these different things. But what ended up being the case is the reason they wanted a singles ministry or a college ministry is they were just looking for a lady, right? Or, so I joke <laughs> kind of, I joke kind of, you know, just joking. I'm like, hey, guys, if that's what you're looking for, here's all I need to do. Hey, single dudes, just wear blue. Yeah. You know? <laughs> hey, single ladies, just wear pink. So I'm not, because I don't know why. I mean, that's that's why, very evident. Yeah, like in those kind of things. And it was kind of a joke. Yeah. But the next week, like they started showing so up. Yeah. And so, so, yeah, so if you're looking for a family, looking for, you know, a daddy for your kids, whatever that is, the temple, the temple, yeah. right? And so, yeah. got all those things. And the other thing, and this is really neat, is that this is where they would collectively worship. Yeah. So these are people who, like us, had a lot of uncertainty in their life, mm-hmm. had a regime, a political regime that didn't necessarily love them or like them or care for them or protect them, right? Mm-hmm. But as long as they you know, stayed in line and gave their taxes, they, they got fine, to participate. Yeah. And so this temple was kind of like the hub of all these things. So it's like the temple was kind of the place like that kind of said, you're close, just not quite there. You know, you know, if you know the hotter, colder game, yeah. it's warmer as you go to the temple. Yeah. It's not hot yet because yeah. to get to God was just impossible. Yeah. But the the temple is kind of this belief in um, hope eternal, right? So it's almost hope deferred, but it's just so close, and people are coming all the time. And so the temple plays a huge part in Jewish history and then, you know, Christian history to the point where even you see later in Acts where uh, Stephen, Peter, other go, the temple, what kind of house does God get? Like you think yeah. that you, you built this with human hands and God resides there because I mean, kind of silly to go, the God of the universe is there, but it yeah. just was this icon, I think, this icon of hope 
and peace and joy. And it was always this forward promise going that one day he will make all this thing, all these things sad, unsad. Yeah. One thing he'll bring all of us truth. So there was just this picture of that God had not completely abandoned them yet. Was they yeah. could go back and see it there. So the way that happened is people would worship there each week, and there would be priests who would go and like. Moses in the Old Testament and talk to God and go, God, don't forget your people. Yeah. God, we're still here. Not many people are faithful, but we're still faithful. Yeah. So they would have been doing that, and there would have been a priest in charge of doing that. This great honor. Not the high priest once a year in Yom Kippur where they get to go in the Holy Holies, mm-hmm. but the, the, a priest each time would get to go and do that. And this was a very significant moment for the history uh, or the, the people in the church because that was how they could be staying till the next week. Yeah. This was the kind of we think you go to mass or go to church into yeah. your sin bucket to just get through them one week. Yep. This was the moment. And the reason they're confident is the priest would come back out and they're going, okay, he spoke to God on behalf of us. Yeah. So God is still there. Now he seems really distant, but at least he's still there. Yeah. So in this moment, when Zechariah is going in, all these people are waiting, and, it, and Luke tells us a couple times, they would have waited the whole time. They were still wondering what was going on. Yeah. What we see in that moment is like this hope deferred that maybe God hasn't forgotten about them. And so we see that you know, for the whole Jewish culture in, in Jerusalem that day. But then that's where I think Luke is so specific. Let me give you kind of a more tangible way that this couple is doing the same thing. Yeah. So this Zachariah has just gotten this moment where he finally gets an identity that he gets to do this. But there is some still some deep pain and skepticism. Yeah. In that. And I think that's the, the part that we got to see there is uh, most of like Luke, I would say, is a writer who writes to skeptics. So if you're a skeptic, great. That means you're not certain. That's fine. Keep wrestling through this because Luke is the guy to do it. But this this idea is that the Gospel of Luke has written for the skeptic, right? And we're going to see the first skeptic in, in Zechariah in yeah. this. And what really makes us a skeptic is just lived experience, mm-hmm. right? Pain, sorrow, all those kind of things. And so this guy who's interceding on behalf of a people who are skeptical and in pain actually is personally dealing with his own legitimate pain and suffering and mm. fear about his identity and his security. So Luke, I mean, I'm telling you, it's so easy to miss this, just yeah. reading these first few verses going, what a beautiful you know, picture of, let me, let me take the big focus, all the people in the temple, let me kind of keep zooming it in until you see this one person in this one place of vulnerability kind of sitting vulnerable before God, praying the prayers, yeah. and then you have this moment where he opens his eyes and he's like, Oh, uh-oh. You don't know, like, be afraid. Yeah, yeah. And so then you got this angel says, don't be afraid. But really, there's this picture of an angel going and saying, God has not forgotten you. Yeah, yeah. And you see Luke's response, like, well, how can that be? Like this this skepticism. Yeah. And we can't judge it. I mean, we can judge you for it. It doesn't do us any good. But it's just a lived experience going, I've done this all the time over and over again. There's just, I just have a hard time thinking, God, well, I keep praying and asking not to forget us. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of shocked when he shows up and says, I haven't. Yeah. You know, and so that's this moment where Luke is going, you want some certainty. Let me yeah. start with this guy. Because you know what, Theophilus, this guy was uncertain. And he was he was godly. And he did all the right things. And he had all the special moments, like yeah. literally a supernatural moment where he is in the closest place you can get outside of in the Holy of Holies, right? The closest place you can get theoretically yeah. or figuratively to God. And he's there. And he has a supernatural experience mm-hmm. of an angel. None of us have had that. Yeah. And yet, he's not certain. Yeah. And so we see this, this uncertainty rise in him in the middle of all this. It's like, yeah. oh, that would make sense that he'd start with this guy. This guy is the religious guy. He's the godly guy. And yet he's kind of bringing his own skepticism and uncertainty with him, even yeah. in the middle of a moment that we'd go, no, no, we'd trust at the end. Yeah. Like, would we? You know? You'd think if you were in that situation that maybe you'd be like, oh, like this is it. Like this is affirmation that God is good, that God's yeah. working behind the scenes. But even in this moment, he, as you were saying, is kind of not expressing that certainty. Um, it's interesting how the angel responds and how maybe, you know, God responds in that moment. He, he mutes uh, yeah. Zechariah for a few days after telling him, you know, you're going to bear a child or Elizabeth yeah. is going to bear a child. Uh, and then uh, how does 
does uh, how does Zechariah respond, which then gets him muted? And I was gonna ask. In addition to that, um, some people might look at that and be like, that's kind of a cruel uh, way for God to respond to someone who's asking a question or pondering and maybe not entirely certain. Um, how do we wrap our minds around that and how can we see maybe God's love in, in all? Yeah, so uh, good question. A lot to consider there. So first we have this moment with Zechariah and the angel. And so, you know, oh, okay, he's going to pause. He hears these things. And we would think, yeah, of course we'd believe it. But yeah. That's why I challenge our folks so much. Like when, when I say over and over again, I mean, I really want us to get this is most of our complaints today are about answered prayers from yesterday, mm-hmm. right? You complain about um, your uh, your mortgage payment. Mm-hmm. Well, at some point you prayed that God would grow you up and allow you to buy a house or have your own home or rent a place. You complain about your spouse, but there was a day where that was an answer prayer. God, would you please allow me to marry her, her to marry him? You know, those kind of things and yeah. that kind of thing. And one of the things that a lot of us complain about, like you can see it. And like, even in the jest about a mom's needing to drink wine, no, no shot at it, but it's about motherhood. And I understand I, Give me, I'm sure I, I can't imagine it. Like motherhood's gotta be really hard, yeah. but Motherhood was also something, or fatherhood was something we all prayed about. A messy house. We prayed about it. And so healthy kids, and now are loud, right? Intelligent kids who ha- can form their own arguments, right? Yeah. Um, those, are all things, they, those are all things we prayed about. Yeah. And so somehow we get so caught up in whatever that moment is that we can't kind of chronicle God's providence yeah. through all of it. That's why, you know, I don't know that Jesus journaled. I don't keep a diary, but... I do believe some of the most grateful people who are are the people who uh, journal their prayers, mm-hmm. right? Because they can go back and go back and go, oh, I prayed that. Here God's coming through. It's just like That's we good. just are so forward moving that we can't actually pause for a moment and go, oh, what? this is actually God's grace to me, yeah. right? Like like even for me right now, I'm dealing with like a, a my, my, my Jeep engine blew. But in the grand scheme of things, one day I prayed that I would never have, that I wouldn't have a car payment anymore. Yeah. Well, I don't have a car that works, but I also don't have a car payment, right? Like, so you got, got those kind of things. It's just it's so easy just to just react and yeah. react and react. And that's what I think is so important here. Um, there's this book called DNA of Relationships uh, by Gary Smalley. Um, so basically it's a marriage book, and they're brilliant people, and they do lots of uh, counseling. And I was meeting with uh, Julian, actually. I was meeting with some counselors one time and about just talking about different things. And they introduced us to something called the fear cycle, right? And so the fear cycle is we all have, have these insecurities in us. Mm-hmm. And when those insecurities are, that button's pushed, we have a reaction, right? Mm-hmm. So for example, one of my big fears and insecurities is being abandoned. I don't know why. I mean, I got some ideas of why I think that is. Um, being the youngest child in the empty nester kind of home, some of yeah. those things. But like, um, the, what, how that works is um, I just have this thing that I just view the whole world through that, you know, fear of abandonment. So let's say Julie and I have a disagreement and she um, separates for the disagreement. Okay, she needs to pause, she needs to think about it. When she withdraws, what it does for me is it makes me feel abandoned. So that's a button that's pushed. I'm not worth company. I'm not worth, I'll be alone the rest of my life. All these faults you know, things, but things that just in that moment, just really, really I react to. And so I have some ways that I react. Most of the ways that I react are confrontational. So I confront. Well, Julie also has some, uh, and, and she's giving me permission to share these kind of things, right? And Julie also has some uh, of her own fears and worries. One of hers is being controlled, mm-hmm. right? Like being controlled. And so imagine this, Julie withdraws, buttons pushed to me. I react, so I go react and I confront. And I go confront Julie to go, hey, you gotta listen right now, let me explain, let me listen, I talk faster and get, you know, get more than that. How do you think it makes Julie feel? Really controlled. Yeah. So what does she do? She withdraws even more. 
Same. So now I'm even more like, no, no, you got to understand, you got to understand. No, you know, another one of mine is I'm being misunderstood mm -hmm. or uh, misrepresented, right? So I confront long enough, long enough, long enough, long enough. Finally, Julie will respond with saying something sharp and mean, but th that will challenge what my heart feels. That's not true. That's not, but she'll say it. And all of a sudden, then I'll feel that and continue to react. And so what you have here is just this reaction, reaction, reaction yeah. cycle of that fear button is pushing you, you respond, they respond, they respond in that, that way. And I remember talking to them and going, I agree with that wholeheartedly and read the book, all that kind of stuff. I agree. What's the solution? And I can remember, and I've shared this with our congregation before, I can remember him on a whiteboard, stopping, showing where that happens. And he wrote this slowly, too slow in my opinion. <laughs> he wrote the word S-P-A-C-E, space. Space is the solution to actually pause and think about why you're reacting the way you're reacting. Okay. So because so much is so reactionary, one of the greatest gifts we can give our marriage, our relationships is space. Not right. not to withdraw and never come back and deal with it, yeah. but to take a moment to process it and then have some thoughtful understanding of why mm -hmm. you respond the way you are, take kind of a body scan of what's going on yeah. and then respond thoughtfully in that, right? And so um, that's what, that's what uh, psychologists will show you. Just space is really, really, really important, yeah. particularly if you're reacting pretty quick. Now think about this. Zechariah has just gotten this news. <laughs> He's just heard this. This should be good news. You're going to have a baby. He's going to yeah. be John the Baptist. It's going to be great. What, is, what does um, Zechariah do? He reacts. Yeah. Now, he needs space. Yeah, so maybe there's some insecurity here that he yeah. goes, well, I've been asking God and he hasn't come through. Like, I just don't, the please don't dangle another carrot in front of me because I thought when we got pregnant that last time, this was it. Then there's, yeah. whatever those things, there's all these real human uh, reactions where he's not thinking, of course, God just showed up in the form of an, uh, with an angel here, not in the form, but as a messenger to talk to me. Yeah. And that's pretty supernatural. And that moment, he is so protective of his hope deferred mm -hmm. that he just reacts. Well... If human psychologists, with very little wisdom, but more wisdom than many of us have in terms of like, uh, you know, in eternal, infinite wisdom, yeah. if they can go, yep, space is the best way for this to actually process, have gratitude, consider, then is it possible with all the skepticism and pain and sorrow that um, that Zechariah would have been in that it, that space was the most beautiful thing that could happen for him to actually consider how good God is and that he never forgot him. Yeah. Now, we know that to be true later, and we'll see it in a couple of weeks, because when Zechariah finally does get to respond, he responds in song. It's like high school musical. It's so funny. They, <laughs> like, like three or four times, or two or three times in, in, in the first chapter of Luke, he's quoting these songs that yeah. these guys are singing. And so we know that this is good for his heart. So this is not God punishing him. This is God, like we do with our children, go, hey, 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 hey. Okay, you don't have the coping skills necessary. Let me help you with yeah. that. Here, let's yeah. hold your hands. Let's take a, a break. This is to point to and understand God's providence and God's favor yeah. because of just how he was reeling in this moment. And I get that. I get, you know, I get so consumed with that. It's like, oh, i got to pause and do that. Yeah. So it sure seems like what's happening here is not like punishment. It's not okay. punitive, but it is discipline. It's, yeah. it's correction to go, hey, the best thing you could do right now is get some space yeah. and really, really, really consider the significance of what's yeah. happening for you, Zechariah. No, you don't get it, but 2,000 years later, there's going to be a couple strangers who are going to be sitting upstairs in a <laughs> sanctuary talking about yeah. this moment because it's that significant. Like, what's your happening? A few months of silence, nine months of silence for what's actually going on here. So you can marvel at it. So you can consider that John the Baptist, your son, is not going to be your greatest sense of joy, yeah. but it's going to point to the one who is. Yeah. To get all that, I think it's pretty important. Yeah. And so it's just God kind of hitting the the pause button or the timeout button. Yeah, creating to, space. Yeah, that's right. So that's, that's awesome. what I think kind of, a yeah. long answer to a short question. Yeah, no, but that's I think good. that's how we kind of have to view that as God is just 
being really gracious to yeah. give him space when he couldn't take it for himself. I can't imagine what he felt when he actually walked out of the temple and he, the scripture says he's just doing all these motions <laughs> trying to communicate and they're like, why were you in there so long? Yeah. And he, uh, all I can do is just move. Um, so strange. Yeah. That's so interesting. So I guess let's uh, let's turn our attention to Elizabeth for a bit. Yeah. Um, we got a little bit of time. So uh, Elizabeth's response a bit is a bit different than Zechariah's. Um, can you kind of explain a little bit more about that? And uh, I, I think, I don't know if you did this in your sermon. I hope I'm remembering correctly. You kind of set them up next to each other and how hers was kind of like a yes, I will, like lean into this, whereas maybe his was a little different. So um. Yeah, you know, back in uh, December, we really looked at the difference between his response um, and Mary's, right? Because Mary also, we're going to see, also get the same kind of news. You're going to be pregnant. You're 14. You weren't even praying for this, and here yeah. I am. And I, kind of the difference between Zechariah and Mary is how can this be and how will this be? Yeah. So, like, the how can is, I don't know that you're capable of that, God. Yeah. The how will is... I'm not really sure how the strategy works here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I think those are two different things. Not, the can is really questioning God's goodness sure, and, his, sure. and his capability. The will is more interested in the strategy by which the yeah. vision is going to happen, right? And so uh, we don't see much in uh, Elizabeth here other than uh, just real gratitude, yeah. right? And so, I mean, it's easy to read this and know the whole story. And, oh, okay, she's going to have a baby. But, like, she's old. Mm-hmm. Like, and the scriptures are really clear that she's really old. And so... There's a lot of reasons that you should be suspicious and not grateful for this. Like, a lot of reasons to go, God, I don't know how I can do that. I mean, how, am I going to nurse? Am I going to find someone to nurse? Like, I'm all, you know, all these different things. Like, yeah. there is so much of the, the details of it. And we joke a lot about it here. It's an old talk about Andy Stanley that there's wow people and how people. Mm-hmm. And so giving them both permission to be like, wow. Like, it starts with wow. And then eventually the how, I really feel like, Zechariah missed out on all that, just mm-hmm. the greatness of this moment. And so what we see with Zechariah is a little, I mean, with Elizabeth was different in that she just, she just responds, right? Yeah. So it's, we only get these two verses, right? And it says, when his time of service ended, he went home. That's it. Like, did he tell her? Does she know? Like, what does this look like? And then we we're skipping ahead five months, right? Mm-hmm. So it says, after these days, his wife conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden. So we see very, very little going on. So we don't know. We don't get insight into her head. We don't get those kind of things. We don't know if she's worried about a miscarriage. We have no idea all yeah. this kind of stuff. But we do finally see after all this plays out. So we don't know. Maybe we don't. Maybe she has some concern. We have no idea. But we do finally see happen is what I think is really important, verse 25, which is why I think Luke gives us the story. As yeah. It says, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So what she is seeing in that moment is, that God hadn't forgotten her and that God was still establishing her identity as his daughter and he, mm-hmm. he still had a plan. And so we see very little other than when she looks at it, she sees God's graciousness in all this. Like that's yeah. why I love the name John literally means God's grace, mm-hmm. God's gift to us. So God's given us a gift, but not the greatest gift that points to the greater gift, right? So that's like the, the idea of how God gives good gifts. He only gives good gifts, but all those are to point to a better gift. So in this moment, we just see, we just see that she says, the Lord has taken away my reproach among the people. So in that, what we see is a deep wound, yeah. probably, which is fair. We all have them, but a deep wound of just all the whispers. That's, that's Elizabeth. She, you know. Doesn't have a kid. Can't have a kid. All these yeah. other kids running around. And yeah. I mean, I think there's some genuine pain in that. And I, I, I know we have people in our congregation who are struggling with that same pain, whether or not they couldn't conceive or uh, having never been married and all these kind of things are just really deeply painful and it's weird because you have the ability to celebrate other people's joy and good gifts mm-hmm. but there is just something in you that wonders if why that is like not happening for you kind of thing and so I think what we see here is just like a real vulnerable 
Yeah, two different vulnerable people. One goes and goes, how can this be what? And this person goes, God, it's so good. And there are reasons that this would not be good. Like, she's old, right? She's not going to see her kid walk down the aisle or whatever. You know, all these kind of things. She's in her old age, but she sees in this moment that this real validation that the Lord loved her, hadn't forgotten about her, and had a good plan for her. So we see that response. So in that, I think that's the picture. So when 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 Luke presents to us Herod, what we now know about Herod's temple is that it was... 400 years of promises that there would be a messenger who would come mm-hmm. to this temple. And so it says in Malachi chapter 3, but the temple was in massive disrepair. So this renovation had happened, this preparation had happened. Now Herod wasn't preparing for this messenger. And, you know, this boy's really going to hate John the Baptist, right? Like Herod's <laughs> going to and prepared for that. Herod yeah. isn't prepared for that, that part. He's just going, I'm going to show off. But God, yeah. for 400 years had not turned his back on his people. He had saw those things. So the same thing that he was looking at Elizabeth and Zechariah, he's answering the prayer, and there's just yes, no, or not yet. And so this was a not yet, and now it's a yes. So you just see in this moment, like, God, that was not a mistake. God had the exact plan at the exact right time. And so that's what we talk about all the time. I think it's it's definitely not, I think. It's Tim Keller talks about how we pray. When we pray, God either answers our prayer in the way that we pray it. Mm-hmm. God, give us a baby. Give us the things. Or answers our prayer in the way that we would pray it if we could see and know all things. So eventually, Zachariah and Elizabeth get to the point where they see all this mm-hmm. and they go, this was the exact boy. This, perfect, yeah. this is the exact right moment because yeah. my little niece, you know, Mary, it's, we're going to get to walk through this together. She's only 14 and scared of her mind, and I am 70 or 80 in season. We're going to get to walk through this yeah. together, and we're going to get to have babies and baby showers together, and this one's going to point to that one, and it's going to be this glorious picture. Yeah. That that doesn't happen in any other category. I mean, these two people have a real connection, and literally Mary goes and stays with Elizabeth, this deep connection because they both are kind of struggling with the same yeah. chaos, just on different ends of the spectrum. So God was always answering Zachariah's prayer. He's yeah. like, just not yet, just not yet, yeah. just not yet. And so we finally see the answer that Elizabeth had, and her validation is, of course God would do it this way because yeah. he's going to take away the reproach, mm-hmm. the disgust, the disdain of the people towards me because He's announcing him as child. So this is yeah. better than her having a kid at 30 because everybody, or 20, 20, right? Because yeah. everybody has kids at 20. Yeah. That doesn't require any supernatural intervention. So yeah. there's all these whispers. And all of a sudden, at whatever age, she has a baby and they're going, God must be doing something supernatural yeah. in this person. So just like Zechariah, it's this whole new movement where they lived their whole life hoping that God would respond. And they had very small prayers. Just give us a boy. Yeah. Instead, they become the front and center of the story of the gospel. And of anybody in the scriptures, their family is the one that points the most significantly and intentionally at Jesus. Yeah. So pretty neat to see all that play. Yeah, it is. It's a really good introduction on Luke's part to uh, the story. It's just so that, interesting. Right? Yeah, that's the thing is you go, I don't want us to see these words as random or yeah. happenstance. Like, yeah. This guy, of all the guys, put together the whole narrative. So you got to look at this and go, why does he want us to know? Why these two people? Yeah. So, like, the Lord's speaking to him, and he's going, oh, okay. So, like, the, I think as Matthew starts the genealogy, Mark starts with the story of John the Baptist, mm-hmm. but kind of misses this story, you know? Like, and so it's like, oh, this is a really, really yeah. good story to share because this is probably the people we, right now in our world, can identify with more than anybody. Like, mm-hmm. even Mary, that's kind of weird. We're not going to be a teenage pregnant, and, you know, like, yeah. maybe some of that and the supernatural thing. But if anybody in the story, as we start this pointing to Jesus, the ones that we all could identify with is wondering if God still loves us, has a plan for us, and hasn't forgotten yeah. us. And if he's doing anything, right? That's right. Yeah. So we're the skeptic of in uncertainty. Right. Like, hey, God, what are you doing all this COVID? Like, yeah. did you just take a break? Yeah. Like, are you in all this? And so it makes sense that Luke go, let me give you some certainty. Let me start with the people who are like 
you, Theophilus, are like me, Josh, and really, really uncertain. Yeah. So it's pretty neat that he does that, and I don't want us to miss that because I do think that's absolutely intentional. Yeah. Um, that's good. Uh, we have a, a little bit of time left. Um, I know um, there's a part of the passage near the end where it talks about the hearts that their parents were turned oh, back to yeah. their children. Did you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so, uh, man, didn't really. Sorry, I, I'm yapping for a while, but no, I'm glad you bring that up. So there are a couple things that we just a little awkward to talk about. And so there's questions all the time about, well, why don't you address more of these political issues, that kind of stuff? Or, you know, hey, should we talk more about race, less about race, more about politics, less about politics, more about presidents, less. And, and it's always really uncomfortable. So I'm mm-hmm. like, well, um, the Bible tells us in Isaiah 55 that our thoughts are not his ways and our, our thoughts are not his thoughts and our ways are not his ways. Talking about God of the universe, right? Isaiah is helping us understand just how far off we are on those things. And he even gives us kind of like, a measurement as far as the heavens are from the earth mm-hmm. that's how far your thoughts are josh and ways from god's ways and so i'm always really hesitant to just kind of respond to the current events because mm-hmm. i don't know what's my thoughts and ways versus god's thoughts and sure. ways and so kind of the way that i've always kind of handled this from the very beginning even in student ministry like i'd have parents go well why don't you tell them not to drink i'm like well i want to tell them about jesus and i hope that we're not teaching behavior modification what we're doing is allowing sure. jesus to do that and so kind of my submission there is we'll always let the scriptures drive what we talk about. Absolutely. So that's why we chart out a you know, sermon series. I'm not going, oh, we, marriages are in trouble. Let's just do four weeks on divorce. right? Let's yeah. just actually go to the scriptures and let's not try to find the things in the scriptures that prove our point, make our point. But that's just, you know, it's called expository uh, or exegetical. This idea, let's just let the scriptures expose what's going on in our hearts and our world. And so that's kind of the way that we just approach it around here. So, but when those things do come up, it's going, oh, well, said I wouldn't address, I don't address these things ex- except in light of the scriptures. And yeah. so when we look at this moment with, uh, with John the Baptist, what we see is God ordains all this stuff, gives him a name, a ministry, and a calling, and gives him the Holy Spirit long before he's born. Yeah. Right? And so when we talk about abortion, pro-life versus pro-choice, all those kind of things, like I can kind of pick this one up. Um, with tons of grace and empathy and swear there and go, I don't really put this in the political category. Mm-hmm. A lot of this has to do with, uh, you know, humanity, mm-hmm. right? And then it goes, well, you should talk about all people. Yeah, right. And all people are, are pro-life. That's birth. Or, you know, that's conception through death. So all people, all colors, all tribes. Yeah. I agree with all that. But kind of the fear is, well, because there has to be kind of this caveat that we have to cover it all in one setting. And I'm like, well, the scriptures don't have me cover all that in one setting. What it does have me cover in this moment is, how this happens. Yeah. Elizabeth and Zachariah in their old age do something which I would just say, many of us understand this, that, that conception is a supernatural event because many of you have tried and not been able to. Others of you have put all the obstacles in the way and it still happened, right? And so there is this supernatural moment that happens so we have to pause and go, okay, what's God teaching us here? Yeah. And I think it's about personhood and okay, kind of the big argument now is when are people born and or when are they, when do you define them as not a fetus, that kind of sure, stuff. And sure. so when it seems in this moment that at conception, God defines John the Baptist, gives him a name, gives him a purpose, and he had planned it, you know, thousands of years in advance, infinite years in advance, and giving him a ministry and gave him the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit literally dwells in someone's, you know, uterus. So yeah. complicated to talk about. And I'm a man, so I'm not, not supposed to, but it's like, oh, but here's this stuff that it just, yeah. if we're going to be true to the scriptures, we got to be true to all the scriptures, and these yeah. are just some of them, to go, hey, I think, I think we have a really clear picture here of when life begins and so this is in god's image and likeness and mm-hmm. then we see when uh luke and mary interact that the 
baby is what Luke calls it, uh, leaps in the womb. It's the same Greek word he uses for children when Jesus yeah. says, let the children come to me. So God sees this baby in the womb. Jesus uses the same word there uh, as it would be the children coming to him. And Luke's a physician. So he yeah. seems to be someone who's more qualified to speak on this than I do. And he decides to find, to find both those the same way within yeah. the thing. So I was like, that's some things you got to deal with and talk about. And I mean, I do look at, uh, even though our repro- approach to this is more about comfort, security, identity than it is about godliness and those things. So a lot of decisions are made, uh, you know, in selfish reasons. And so it's like, oh, but that's so care. I want to be careful there because I don't want to be really offensive to anyone. And I don't really see the point of drawing lines in the sand. And I do know some people have made some decisions about that and deep pain and sorrow. And I just would argue I cannot imagine the pain and sadness that must come in that moment where that's the decision you make. And so tons of grace, tons of, um, love and all that go this isn't you're bad i'm good i'm much worse than you are probably you know like in no sense but it is something to go hey we, we got to talk about this as a church and boy one of the best ways to show that we care about this is through foster care adoption Absolutely. you know and those yeah. kind of things and i understand the complications of all that but we, I, what i'd love to see is even our church spend more time walking with moms teenage moms older moms who just feel that thing because at, at, at the core of some of this issue is actually the second part of this is uh the a man's role mm-hmm. in fatherhood and that seems to be abdicated pretty heavily and uh, we're a lot of people in our culture right now um dads are just really absent mm-hmm. so i think these two things are connected i couldn't imagine being a mom who finds out you're pregnant and knowing i don't know how i'm gonna pay for this and there's not a there's not a dad or a husband in this deal who yeah. who's going to participate in that and so it seems to me that that's an issue we got to talk about but the solution to that issue is actually uh, that's a symptom, of, you know, this pain, this sorrow, and this decision of a greater issue, which Luke decides to make sure we understand. And yep. that's the piece where he says, and turns the hearts of the fathers towards their children. Yep. That, I think, is the solution to a lot of this brokenness. And this is where I think it's dangerous for men to stand up and talk about this. The best thing to do is to be a, a, a leader worth following, a husband worth, you know, you know, being submissive or, you know, respectful towards, and a, a father who loves his kids, like mm-hmm. the way that. Jesus loves his children, right? And so a lot of even our brokenness in understanding the gospel is God refers to himself as a father. And many of us have deep, you know, broken connotations with that word. Not me. So, I mean, I feel this great honor and privilege that my dad was present, almost too present at times, you know? So, yeah, those things. And so... I think if I could have spent a lot of time, I could probably just pull out that those three verses, few yeah. verses, and go. I think this is the solution to this problem, yeah. right? Yep, uh, humanity made in the image of God, personhood. God defines it from the very beginning. But the solution of this long term is not holding up signs, screaming with bullhorns. It's begging God to turn fathers' hearts back towards their children. That's also the children in the womb, yeah. right? This this whole thing. And so, I think you can point towards the brokenness of our culture. And kind of point towards the absence of fathers, right? Even if you think about truth being relative or living here in truth, this isn't a shot at you as moms. I'm so sad for moms who have to play both roles. And the reality is there's a lot of you, a lot of us who do that and that kind of experience. But the way by which a man and a woman approaches these things are different. Like a woman's more intuitive with their feelings, right? Follow your feelings, that kind of stuff. A man's more kind of black or white, and this is very general, so sorry about this if I'm offending any of you, but um, very like, does it, it's more about right or wrong, yeah. right? And so this idea that I think we have a generation of people now who have been told to follow their feelings, follow their heart, instead of having men go, 
no, there's a right or wrong. Do what's right. Like, yeah. have this conversation with Briggs. He'll go, I don't want to clean my room. I don't feel like it. And the conversation is, well, it doesn't matter if you feel like it. Yeah. It matters about what's right or wrong. And we just have a, a, a large generation who's kind of lost that piece yeah. where it's about feelings. It's so complicated and it's such general broad strokes. So I'm going, I can't solve all this, but what we can do very specifically is we can ask the Lord to do what he promises here through John the Baptist is that turn the hearts of fathers back towards their children yeah. because that is not the symptom. That is the problem, mm -hmm. right? That is a that is an evidentiary problem in our world. And so no one would argue that, that they wish less fathers would be present, yeah. right? So this is a picture of going, let me show you what's going on. And what God is doing through this is he's yeah. turning fathers' hearts back to their children. So, hey, men in our church, right? Be men. Teach your sons to be men and good fathers. Like, that is where we start a lot of this process yeah. is you know, calling men to the this level of responsibility and submission to the Lord that just seems to be absent. Sure. So, yeah. long question. Sorry about that. No, but, no, yeah. that was good. That was, uh, that was, uh, a and I understand <laughs> this nuanced and, oh, gosh, those are general broad strokes. And so please hear my heart in this. I am, I am. I'm not calling out you or your life or whatever those things are. I have no right. To, I mean, if you give me permission, I'll be happy to talk to you about it. But it's not. This isn't. This isn't pointed at anyone. It's going. Hey, let's have these conversations together in truth and love and grace. And so I do think that this is something that if the Lord would do this in our nation and our world, I think we would see um, some magnificent results in in children. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, thanks for tackling that. Mm -hmm. um, we, we're coming up to our last few minutes. Is there anything else that you kind of wanted to share, tackle, uh, kind of um, talk about in regards to the second week of Luke's Gospel? Yeah, so we, co we covered it in the beginning, and I, not, you know, first a third of the talk, but I do want to come back to this because I think it has cultural implications too. So I just um, made uh, some pretty hefty remarks as it relates to sanctity of life and absent fathers, all those kind of things. And so part of Part of our approach to life seems to be that we will we'll capture the two or three minute nugget that we agree with. Yeah. We'll kind of we'll trim all the rest off and we'll we'll just kind of send that out yeah. to the people. Oh, let me do this. Let me do this. And I just I think it's really important that we see how Zachariah responds when he gets a word of the Lord. Mm -hmm. He gets a word from God, right? And he goes, "Oh, it can't be!" And right there's just this quick reaction, and we just see what God does to Zachariah in this. Like, so he has him pause and. Gives him the inability to interrupt or other things and just to listen. Now, there's going to come a day where he's going to speak again and he's going to speak of God's goodness. Mm -hmm. But it comes out of this moment of pause and reflection and yeah. submission and, you know, getting the perspective of the Lord. And so I just, again, even in all the vitriol and the complications of our world, I keep telling you, hey, would you pause and listen? It's not because I don't think you have anything good to say. Mm -hmm. I just think let's gather all this stuff and understand what's going on in our world and have the perspective and then. And then when we're invited in to share, when we're invited in to share, let's respond with God's goodness. Maybe it's in song, definitely in praise. And so I think that's the piece of, hey, if you keep listening, I promise you, I promise you, God's going to give you the opportunity to speak in love and truth. And that's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen. I don't know if it's nine months. I don't know if it's nine days. But I just would still challenge us. There is something really beautiful about that yeah. pausing and listening and being still and not just responding with our words, our vitriol, our yeah. social media posts. Let's listen. God will reveal to you who he wants you to speak yeah. to and the way that he wants you to speak. And the way it'll happen is they'll actually come to you with a question and give you permission in that. And then let's celebrate God's goodness as that happens. I think that's really important that we listen and then respond and praise. We'll get to that in the next couple of weeks, but I yeah. think that's worth considering. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Uh, definitely in a world where we all need a little bit more space to do that stuff, yeah. to think through that stuff and re reply well. So, um, 
That's really good. That's just week two of yeah. the series. Uh, you said it's going to go for maybe month, probably yes. years. We, you know, we're figuring it out as we go along. But uh, it's a really great book, really great start to Luke already. And we hope you'll continue to join us. And this is an ongoing conversation. Uh, I, I don't think either of us ever see this as like just isolated conversations. They all kind of build upon each other. And so if you have questions, uh, continue to send them in uh, after hearing the sermon or just about anything with the Luke series. You can send them to overtime at clcfamily.church. And we would love Love to talk with them uh, on this podcast, um, but we appreciate you guys joining us for week 41, and we'll continue on that series this Sunday and Saturday if you're watching online, but Sunday, 9 o'clock right. at the church, in the church parking lot. Don't show up any later than that, or, or you might miss us, but uh, we love you guys, and uh, thanks for hanging out. And we'll see you soon. See you next week. Take care.